Hey everyone, I'm Kanal Bajwa. And I'm Lance Jordan. We are two nerds who decided to start a podcast in 2020 due to the pandemic. No topic is necessarily off the table, and we'd like you to join us in hearing our thoughts on various topics, ranging from anime to Zeppelins. We have it all. Here, Here we, we go. go. Well, we're a new year. The first episode of They Need a Hobby podcast. Season two. Um, Last year was such a, you know, shit show, but 2021 will be a better year. This will be our year. Kanal already has some great things lined up that he can't talk about. That's right. Secrets. <laughs> I'm a spy. That's right. But we also have a guest in our building, a good friend of Kanal. Apparently, Kanal used to be the landlord for our guest today. So I was a landlord, but I was part of the landlord company that uh his company that's how i got to know him basically my brother was was actually uh this guest landlord and he was right across the hall and of course typical canal story i'm wearing an anime t-shirt and he's like oh you like one punch man and i'm like yes i like one punch man was it the same one punch man shirt? actually it was <laughs> that's the fun <laughs> part about this story is it literally was the same one um and we actually found out that we had uh, old family friends that we knew mutually. And I was like, oh, well, this is nuts. So I was like, great. So we became fast friends from there. I'd like to introduce Aditya Nalor, the med student. All Thanks right. for coming. Thanks for having me, guys. It's a pleasure yeah. to be here. Um, just a little bit about me. I'm a third-year medical student at St. Louis University. Um, I'm planning on going to dermatology after I graduate. Nice. And fun fact, uh, you know. We both became friends with Kanal through One Punch Man. That's great. And full circle moment, the first episode of last season. It really is a full circle moment. We talked about that shirt and One Punch Man. Oh, wow. He's our Lord and Savior. Oh, yeah. That's right. Saitama. (laughs) Saitama's our Lord and Savior. Lord and Savior. Can't do no wrong. That's right. Until he does wrong and probably destroy a whole city. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but they need him. They really do need him. Like all the monsters would destroy the city even more if he didn't do anything. You don't think Genos got it handled? No, no. I oh. think uh, I think Genos needs to. I don't know what Genos should do. <laughs> Honestly, I really don't because that guy is just trying so hard, and he's just out of his league every yeah. time, which is sad because One Punch Man can't be a S class hero. But that's neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> We start off light. Um, so are you a fan of anime at all? Um, I'm not like a huge anime fan. I, I grew up watching Dragon Ball Z. Okay. So I love the Typical. whole like Dragon Ball Z, Dragon Ball Super, everything. You kind of tune out the broadcast a little bit? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Cool. Um, I watched like Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, Ooh. Fate Stay Night, Fate Zero, stuff like that. But okay. I definitely am not as much of an anime fan as Kunal. Yeah. Which is saying something because it's all perspective. Because I have friends that make me look... Like I, I don't know. They make me look like a square when it comes to anime. <laughs> like I call them my anime dealers, and they're like, "Like, oh, you should check out the Seven Deadly Sins, or you should, oh, you should check out this anime, like Cyber City Oedo." And I'm like, "Yes." And then I meet other people, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, you're so nerdy." And I'm like, "Dude, I'm at like a mid class range. <laughs> you have no <laughs> idea. Like, I've been to conventions, and I'm like, people need to use deodorant. It's sad out here." Yeah, like I've talked to Kanal many times in our relationship about how he's probably like the nerdiest person I know mm. in my life. I didn't know that actually. Yeah, no, no, I mentioned that before. 
in your buddy your entire life though like yeah, the man. entire life well, i take that as an honor i'll take no that. it's good it's good <laughs> so just the fact that you you have all these friends who are like many levels above yeah class 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 weebs <laughs> if you don't know what a weeb is look it up yeah kanal like the goku but then like Every season, he finds someone stronger that he has to challenge. Like, right, right. The, the for the angels. anime knowledge, like these, yeah. Like the S class are like the angels, apparently. So who's who's the Zeno? <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, the Zeno is probably a dude. Uh, it's between three people, honestly. Okay, okay. Uh, Patrick, Blake, or Sasha. Uh, Where's one the of those Brawly people. at? Brawly is. Ooh, that's a good question. I love how we're like power scaling the you know, like <laughs> Kunal's nerdy friends. Like this. Is... <laughs> I mean, probably I'll have to come back for you for the second oh, episode. Okay. I'll tell you about that later. Another time. Another time. Another time. <laughs> We've lost like half the audience at this point. <laughs> well, you know, there's still more to talk about. Video yeah. games. That's right. So, you know, what is everybody playing? I I beat Ghost of Tsushima, and now I'm playing Legends right now. I also just bought the new Yakuza game, so I'm totally going to nice. dive yeah. into that eventually. Of course you did. Nice. Hey, man, leave me alone. <laughs> All right? <laughs> I wasn't going to play initially because it was turn-based, but I, I saw so many good reviews, I couldn't pass it up. Yeah. So okay. I got a good deal on it, too. So, yeah. What about you, sir? Um, I got, so I got the new Xbox Series Ooh, X in November. Okay. Boy. How many kids did you have to knock over? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, it was a funny story. My, um, I, an old friend from college um, who still lives up in Rochester, New York, Oh, cool. He had pre-ordered the PS5 and Xbox Series X. Mm. Um, he was only going to keep the PS5, but like he wanted to get both just in case, like the pre-orders locked down. I couldn't get a single pre-order, and then when the PS5 dropped, I stayed up to like five in the morning. Oh my god! The day it came out, just mm. refreshing, fucking like refreshing every single page. I got my payment info in there like five times, and wow. it still didn't work. Okay. Um, so I I messaged him, and I'm like. Hey dude, do you? I know you have your PS5. Do you still have like your Series X pre-order? He's like, Yeah, I forgot to cancel it, so like it's ready to be picked up. And I'm like, Can I buy it from you? Mm-hmm. He's like, uh, Yeah, sure, I'll ship it over to you. So you okay. know, I got very lucky okay. in that I had a friend who had that lying around. He wasn't going to use it. Um, forgot to cancel it, so I was That's able awesome. to get get a hold yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, no, it was good. Um, so I got that. So that's I've been playing that mostly. Um, mm-hmm. Assassin's Creed Valhalla, which is super Great fun. Game. I've heard um, the lore for that's amazing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They really tie in a lot of stuff from the older games into the okay. lore, yeah. which I love. So they're really bringing it back to kind of what really got me interested in the series in the mm. first place. Indeed. Um, so I did that, and then now I'm playing the other new Ubisoft game. It's called Immortals Phoenix Rising. Yeah. It was originally titled Gods and Monsters. Yeah. Okay. If you guys remember. I think I heard about the. Yeah. Is it Chinese myth? No, it's Greek mythology. Greek mythology. But the, okay. they have a DLC oh, coming out okay. that's going to be Chinese mythology, which that's is super cool. That. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So I've been playing that, and that's super fun as well. They released on the Switch too. Yeah, it's on the Switch. It's on which is wild. That's yeah. Awesome. So it's. I mean, it's very similar to Breath of the Wild. Like okay. it's. It superficially, I'm not saying graphically. I'm just saying like gameplay elements wise, it's almost like a carbon copy of Breath of the Wild. But then when you get deeper into it, you can see all of these differences. Okay. So they take what um, made Breath of the Wild so successful and kind of add things to it and maybe put their own spin on it, which I like. Cool. Okay. Well, uh, I'd love to talk more about games with you, but let's let's get to the to the meat of the stuff. Uh, so, what's it like being a med student, man? Like, can you walk us through that process? 
yeah um it's it's interesting for sure um i you know i like it i guess it, well i guess if i say i like med school that's kind of a disingenuous thing to say <laughs> like i don't think anyone likes med school is it fulfilling <laughs> no not okay. really like listen like is it fulfilling in the sense that i'm on the path to kind of achieving the career that i want yes yeah that's the that's more it, what i was that's to say. yeah for yeah. sure but is it fulfilling like day to day god no like i i don't think i felt more unfulfilled than i ever mm. in my life than i have this year like it's just been like yeah crazy but you mean so you do on you do four years of undergrad in the u.s before you go to med school and then um med school is four years so the first two years are preclinical is what they called it, um, where you basically learn about all the diseases and the physiology and kind of understand how everything works. And then this, the last two years, so um, I'm halfway through my third year now, so I'm starting in that process, is clinical rotations. Which is ridiculous, because I thought you just started med school. Right, it's time flew. But <laughs> um, the clinical rotations is where you basically go to different um, different services, different specialties, and spend like seven or eight weeks and kind of you know see how it is and then you take mm. a big test at the end of it and at the end of each rotation it kind of tests you know what you learned basically That's in that rotation so right now i'm on my surgery rotation so um yeah it's an interesting time um med school is not easy you know it's not something that i would recommend anyone go into unless they genuinely care about right. medicine and if that's what they're passionate right. about great and you're like going through med school at a very interesting time with uh yeah. the whole COVID-19 yeah out there lurking about yeah yeah it's been really interesting um especially this year because I'm in my third year like I mentioned and that's when we do the clinical rotation so you're basically in the hospital working with patients um learning how to be a doctor clinically or mm -hmm. you know hopefully learning those things <laughs> um and it, it's not been fun yeah um just with the pandemic because, you know, we're not getting paid to do this. Like, we're paying a lot of money to kind of go in there. You gotta love U.S. education for that. I know. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, at times, it's almost like, oh, man, I'm I'm going in here, like, as a COVID sponge, basically. Like, you know, I'm just paying mm -hmm. to get COVID. Um, and maybe not really getting the full experience of the third year um, because of COVID. Like, because of lower case loads and, you know, different patient cases. Things like that. Yeah. Are you wearing N95s or like how, like what's the... They just have us wearing normal surgical masks. Okay. So yeah, it's it's interesting for sure. Um, but I'm getting the vaccine on Wednesday, which Yay. is pretty cool. Um, so they're prioritizing med students, um, Yeah. which is nice to see. Yeah. Kind of mitigate some of those concerns. Yeah. I think this should have been the first year they've actually like paid you guys. <laughs> this is a yeah very interesting time. I know. it's it, You know, it's weird because as a med student, we're like not essential to the team, right? like to the healthcare team we don't you know we basically just do whatever they tell us to do yeah. um we're there to learn but like our presence there is not game changing like it's not going to change the patient's care that much to have us there you might do more than you think yeah no i think i think we definitely do more than we might feel like we're doing mm -hmm. but um at the same time it's it, it sometimes feels like we're just sitting there and not yeah. doing anything of value <laughs> So, I mean, yeah, I think I agree with Lance on that one. Like the fact that they're just seeing someone young and learning there, I think that makes yeah. a whole lot of difference. For sure. That would make me interested as a patient, as 
personally as a patient i would like to see that yeah but that you know that's that even sucks with covid because we all have to wear masks mm. so a lot of that face-to-face interaction that can happen um, between provider and patient is kind of not there because you can't see our facial expressions it's the one time in the world where like in my life where i was like yeah i get to dress up as a ninja but not for the right reasons <laughs> right <laughs> like, it's, it's the worst like I, I even bought like a sub-zero mask yeah i saw that but i'm like it, it's just so disappointing now because i'm like oh i'm wearing this so i don't die so great right <laughs> <laughs> uh instead of joining the lin Kuei tournament but anyhow um so just real quick i want to ask some some brief questions about covid just to clear the air, because I can't have a med student on here and not ask questions. Right. So really quick, what distinguishes a coronavirus from other viruses or the flu? And I know it's a really big question because it's very complicated. Yeah, I mean, I think the main thing about coronavirus is that we just don't know enough about it. Because it came out, sort of came out of nowhere in the sense that nobody really had time to get significant research to understand it or what it can do. And we don't know about its long-term effects, right? A lot of viruses and a lot of other pathogens can have long-term effects that can occur years down the line. Like measles, for example. Like there's this complication of measles. If you get measles as a kid, you recover. And then 10, 15, 20 years later, you have no symptoms for all that time. But decades later, you can get something called subacute sclerosing panencephalitis, which is basically like it reactivates in your brain and like just fucks shit up. Oh and, gosh. you know, it's... It's brutal. I heard like shingles does something similar. Shingles can have, you can have like post-herpetic neuralgia, which is like um, pain caused by the virus that's like kind of laying dormant in your Thank nerves. Thank you for basically. explaining because I was lost. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but um, so th- that's one of the things that kind of has freaked me out personally about yeah. this virus is that we just don't know and we don't know what it could cause. Like if I get it now, am I going to have some kind of crazy complication 30 exactly. years from now? For me as a lay person, it's like, it's such an invisible enemy. That right, you can't right. See. I mean, sure, we can see it with microscopes and everything, but I'm talking about just your day-to-day life. Uh, like it's such an invisible enemy that you don't know. You don't know if you're doing the right things or the wrong things. Exactly. So you know, I don't think anything about it in particular is like super special or crazy that makes it a pandemic. It's just more that we don't know anything about it, and it we're doing our best. We yeah, yeah. we're doing our best to kind of come up with ways to mitigate it. It's brand new, basically. So yeah. You know, nothing we have works super well. Okay. So in terms of COVID, what was blown out of proportion and what wasn't? I mean, I feel like in the beginning, by the government especially, they didn't really do a good job in being clear about like what is going on, like what this is, and how much of an impact it could have. So I think it was pretty grossly mismanaged at the beginning, unfortunately, because I think a lot of what we're going through now could have been mitigated had it been taken care of earlier on. Um, and maybe we could have gone back to normal sooner. Obviously, we're not back to normal yet. So. No, Florida is <laughs> right. <laughs> Florida is but it's just it's just crazy because the amount of people that have died from this, and um, you know, I feel like I don't want to get political, but I feel like the go for it. Yeah, the um, dive in. <laughs> I, maybe some of the conservatives and you know the administration kind of down has downplayed it all the way through. Like, oh, this is nothing. It's just like the flu. Like. Mm-hmm. It, the fatality rate is super low, which, you know, like... Is it somewhere in the millions? One million, I think? I, worldwide, I'm not totally sure, but I think like 400,000 Americans okay. have died. Keep in perspective, 9-11, roughly 3,000. Right. So this is a lot more 9-11s. Exactly. You know, I feel like people just don't really understand 
or we're not given the resources to understand that this is like a serious problem. Communication has definitely been a huge Communication has been a huge issue, in my opinion. So that being said, you do trust the information that's come from the CDC. And I'm not saying that because I right. don't trust the CDC, but there has been a lot of frustration lately in the news with the CDC. Like, where do you get um, a lot of your news from? Yeah, I think for like healthcare related news, you know, for me, I, you know, I have to read like scientific journals and things like that, but that's not something that I feel like a layperson can really do. Mm -hmm. It's not accessible. The language is not accessible. And that means that they're stupid. It just means that they don't understand. Yeah. If you don't have the education, you can't read that stuff. And even for people who have gotten the education, it's tough to read that kind of stuff. Um, so I would say like, you know, anything from the CDC is trustworthy. You know, any of these .gov websites are vetted and usually pretty good. Where did the um, misinformation about the mask come from originally? Like, I remember, you know, them saying, wear a mask, and then there was like, don't wear a mask, and then it was like, back to wearing masks. I think I kind of remember what you're talking about. That was like in March, right? March, yeah. April? Yeah. Yeah, I think science is interesting because, you know, you're basically trying to answer brand new questions that mm. have no pre-existing kind of framework for them. Um so with this new virus, it's like, okay, what do we do to mitigate the spread, right? Um, so I don't know too much about that situation, but what I do know is that I'm sure they were trying to figure out like, okay, are masks going to do a good job of preventing spread? Right. And then they maybe they had some data that showed, oh, maybe it's not. Maybe like it's actually making things worse. But right. then as time went on, they were able to say, okay, actually, this is the way to go. You know, it's going to keep us safe yeah. and prevent this from spreading throughout the whole population or something that slowed down at least yeah yeah so and I, I think a lot of people don't really understand that aspect of science and that's just it boils down to a lack of commu good communication i think between like the scientific community and the general po population yeah a lack absolutely. of teachers lack of appreciation for teachers like right all right. across the board yeah it's 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 been really weird i think especially with the advent of like social media and google um people inherently trust themselves more than they yeah, trust yeah. other people that is that is just a an aspect of being human 100 percent agree it's the self versus the others right um but unfortunately when it comes to issues like this with science um most people should not be trusting themselves because they, they haven't learned they, they don't have the education right like that's not a knock on them they may be they're certainly probably smart enough to get that education you know but you have a lot of people trying to make healthcare decisions and and have informed opinions based on like Google searches and like reading message boards and things like that. I think uh, memes are informing. Memes, yeah, are oh informing the public because I on our previous episode we've talked about like how I remember not when it first kicked off, but like black people were like, oh, yeah. um, black people can't catch it, like based off the memes and everything. But then like come to find out. Um, the black communities are like some of the worst being right. hit with right. the coronavirus and like we didn't believe it until what was it uh idris elba yeah had uh, caught it he was watching naruto to get over it. yeah so yeah and a couple of basketball players and then all of a sudden oh shit okay yeah now it's real yeah it's it's actually pretty incredible and not in a bad way in my opinion, because <laughs> yeah it's, it's just like it's just it's so mind-blowing like as a scientist someone who's like in the scientific community and is going to be a healthcare provider very shortly um just to see that maybe people don't really trust the things that come out of our mouths right and they're getting their own own um, information from unreliable sources um 
but who you know you can't really blame them because i don't think the scientific community has done a good job of establishing grounds of communication between themselves and the general public because you need to be able to communicate these ideas in ways that anyone will understand and anyone will want to understand and as complex as these ideas are it is tough to do that right um it's hard it is it's hard but like i feel like there needs to be more kind of effort put into that um because otherwise people are not going to kind of reach out to the science community there's a dermatologist i sent you on instagram right and she's she's just quite frankly she's beautiful lebanese doctor shout out lebanese (laughs) uh she's an incredibly intelligent doctor who through instagram is breaking down every question in terms of uh what people have for whatever skin conditions like hyperpigmentation um what to do to use for like uh cosmetic surgery for inserts or scapular um changes and stuff like that and what's cool is that she she's like, well, if you want to look at this research, she can sometimes actually give your own research. And it's one aspect, like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is doing a great job of using social media to bridge gaps and be like, hey, you know, this is what we can do. This is where our response is. I'll put the links up on my site. We can go from here and there. I don't know if that's the only way to do it, but that's definitely something that's better than nothing. I agree. And I think the more and more people do that, the better. And it's certainly something that I would like to try and do in my career um it's tough though because social media is annoying it's annoying yeah it's it's tough to kind of destroy deal our, with our brains in some it's, ways um yeah. yeah and i don't like social media you know i don't like to post things about my life constantly mm. to f- to game the algorithm right yeah. to like make your posts be seen to like engage your audiences i like sharing videos but like that's right about it. and people yeah. people only click on certain things like you yeah. have to have everything right for them to click on it right and that's it's tough and especially for someone like me who's maybe not the most outgoing like i'm outgoing with people that i meet in person right but like yeah. i don't like being online like yeah faceless to you know with in, interacting with all these faceless people yeah keyboard um, warring it up yeah right and like posting all these intimate details of my life you know that's tough so i think it's something that um individuals in the scientific community kind of have to get used to doing that a little bit more and yeah. stepping out of our comfort zones even if we're used to sitting in a lab or at a desk all yeah. day i mean there's people that talks to the company there's people that talks to the to the lab guys that like you need an intermediary that is a good interpreter for both people yeah absolutely. and that's something that's undervalued and underappreciated so definitely this is a very very frustrating time for all of us uh and you and i have talked about we've been actually one of the things that we've really bonded over if you don't mind me um, saying this is because we bonded over mental health issues for sure definitely anxiety our cases were depression and so what are you doing during this pandemic to stay sane because you're a med student you're a human being you're my friend how does that all how are you doing now how are you handling all of this man honestly for me it's just been like a lot of video games and movies and tv shows and you know it's it's been tough for sure like i'm I I haven't felt like myself like for months. You know what I mean? Same here. Um and it's really weird, right? Yeah, it's weird. And I like I don't know if I I know I mentioned to Kunal before um just to kind of shed a little bit little bit more light on kind of how the situation has been from my perspective as like a medical student. Um so at the end of our first two years of med school, you basically have to take this big licensing exam. Um it's called step 1 and this test is built up throughout the first two years. Like every single person you meet is stressing the importance of this test because the way the score you get on it basically 
opens or closes certain doors in terms of what specialty you want to go into. Um, so of course, every second year med student and first year med student is stressing about this test over and over again, um, just nonstop. So you usually take it in the spring and um, my class had been gearing up for this for the past two years, working up to it. And right when the pandemic hit was when we were supposed to all take it. So like my entire class pretty much was getting delayed for months um, for this very important test that's emotionally, mentally, physically taxing to study for and just like prepare for because there's so much information, you know. Um, for my case, like the testing center shut down from the pandemic like the day before I was going to take the test. So I was done studying, like I was ready to go. Um, and just to have something like that where the importance was so huge and it was like the past two years building up to this moment where it's especially important where you, because I want to go into a competitive specialty in dermatology. So the score really, really matters. Um, so that was like very stressful for me. So ever since that, that day, I still remember waking up and seeing the email that the thing was canceled. I have not felt like good, mm. you know? Like my mind is just all over the place. Like my mood is is weird. I'm not thinking as quickly as I usually or, or I used to. Not learning as quickly as I used to. Not able to focus properly. Foggy. Foggy. It's yeah. it's been really really strange. And and for us, since we had to jump right into clinical rotations, um, basically, as soon as we took this big test, we didn't have any time in between because of the pandemic, and we had to immediately go back and and go into the hospital and adjust to this whole new. Um, schooling system this new setting yeah. um, so for me and I can't speak for other students but I'm sure a lot of students feel similarly but for me it's been really tough for sure because I, I don't feel like I've really had a moment without any of these stressors to kind of process the pandemic to process everything that we've dealt with this year um, because we've had all this other stuff that I've had to worry about you know, yeah. so I think that's been weighing on me a lot this this past year, and I hope I hope I can have some time to like really sit down and process everything that's happened this year because I think I desperately need it mentally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for thanks for saying all that. That's that was real. That was real vulnerable. Thank you. No, of course, dude. Yeah. Um. Yeah. That it's it's very true. Like, there hasn't really been there hasn't been a break like it's mm -hmm. and plus it's we're in the winter months now and so so things i'm sure are even more foggy for you ever since then um uh, just so I'm, I'm clear when uh they said the delay in the test on march when were you able to take it eventually yeah so i took it like near the end of may okay okay so that's considerable oh oh my god yeah well it's hard to really explain the impact of that if you haven't been through it because it's it, it's hard to understand as like someone who's not been in med school mm. how much information there is on this test and how like important this test is. It's like you, you know you you peak you have a very narrow window at which you're at your best and you have to basically time the usage of your resources and like practice question banks and practice tests so that you use them all at the right time so that you can peak on that same day that you take your test right yeah but. You know, for me, like I used everything up. I was ready because like the next day, that was it. Yeah. So I didn't have any resources left. So, you know, I was like so demoralized. Mm. Um, I didn't study for like a month and a half. Yeah. Mm. And I just like played video games because yeah. that was like the only thing that was going to bring me any semblance of like happiness. Like, you know what, what I mean? What's the point after? A yeah. While. Yeah. Especially because the testing centers didn't do a good job of communicating with us 
about when they would open. They would like say one day and then they would say, nope, we're not opening. Then they would do it. They would keep doing that. So like we had no idea when the test would even be for us. Mm. Um, So when you don't have a date and you don't know if it's going to be in two weeks or in three months, it's hard to like study and give the same effort. Um, I know some people who did and kudos to them. Yeah. Um, I am not, you know, my, my mental health is not capable of that, especially after having getting canceled the day before. So like I was just sitting there playing video games, like stressing out, like, oh, I need to study, but yeah. I don't want to study like because I don't even know when I'm going to take it. It's like you go through all that Rocky Four training gosh. and then Drago's like, <laughs> <laughs> and then Drago's like, you know what? We will fight next year. And I'm like, what? But dude, I cut calories for all this stuff. Exactly. That's That's exactly how it was. It was like, you know that there's a finish line in sight. So you, you dump every ounce of your being blood, sweat, yeah. and tears into like making sure you secure like the best possible result in this situation. And then when that's like kind of ripped away at the last second unexpectedly, mm-hmm. and then you don't know when it's coming back. That's like, that's the tough part for sure. Wow. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you this one question and circle back to what we're talking about now. What made you want to be a doctor? And when did you know you want to be a doctor? Um, well, so my dad's a doctor, um, shout out to him. He's a nice um, guy. Yeah, no, he's, I love him to death. Um, I lo- I've, I learned a lot from him, but like he and I didn't really get along growing up, you know, um, not as much as I, either of us, I think would have liked. And this happens a lot in Indian families. Like, oh, it's just, it is, it's a thing. We have worked through a lot of it. We are much closer, but right. I understand. I love my parents. By yeah, way. I love my parents as well. And, you know, growing up, my parents are from India, so they're immigrants and all they knew was what they were taught in their country so this is one generation right after independence so right. everything that you can make money with are the sciences right so and accounting when they came here all they knew about america was what they were seeing on tv mm. you know mcdonald's um <laughs> right <laughs> um so you know i can't even imagine what it's like you know to come to a brand new country you know you don't know anyone. You have nothing. You're having to face all this racism and and all of these obstacles to success. And you have a kid, right? And you're trying to figure out, like, how do I raise this kid in this country, but also with what I know to be true, like what, what my values are um, from my country. Like, I this I want my child to to know all of these things, right? And I, I I'm sure that's what was going through their heads. And I think for for my dad, especially being so fresh out of um, like his whole life in India, he hadn't really adjusted to maybe the more or he hadn't learned the American kind of morals or values and Mm -hmm. how the schooling system is and stuff. And it's very different, of course. So, you know, there was a lot of pressure, I think, to like do well in sciences and math. And that's like very Indian thing. And I think I resented that growing up. So like I didn't you know, I was, I never worked hard growing up. Like I was so lazy. I skated by on intelligence. Really? That's all it was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was, I, I basically put in the bare minimum. I was very, did very average on tests and everything. Cause I didn't, I didn't work hard. I mean, it's complete opposite of how I know you now. So that's why. I right. Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah, no, it's, you know, I think part of me growing up, I was just like rebelling against what my, my dad wanted me to do. So he was a doctor. I didn't really want to be a doctor back then. Um, I was like, I want to do like the opposite because he's like 
he wants me to do really well in science and math. Like, no, I don't want to do science and math. I'm going to do music or something. Yeah. You know, because I love to sing and that's like my, my passion. Guy has golden pipes. I heard some of his <laughs> videos. Check him out. But I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. I didn't really decide on medicine until like I went through all this stuff in undergrad. And then I kind of had to like do some soul searching and find myself, figure out what I was actually passionate about, separate from like my family pressures. And that's kind of when I, I realized that's, okay, that's what I want to do, you know? Yeah. I'm closer in that journey than I was before, but I'm still definitely around that journey. So yeah. I understand that. It was definitely like a winding road because like <laughs> for, for me, like it was crazy. So did you start off in college as a music major or? Oh man. Yeah. So <laughs> it's a, it's a longish story. I'll try and like boil it down to the bullet points. I think I've always struggled with like mental health stuff. I think me, like what Clonal mentioned, we've yeah. kind of bonded over that. Definitely. I think that I was always anxious and had depression like for most of my childhood, but it just didn't really go diagnosed. Because again, in Indian culture, mental health is not like a thing. It's considered a white person problem. Yeah. yeah. It's, if you're not able to focus, you're not able to do something, you're stupid or lazy. Again, this that also goes back to what I was saying about how my parents were kind of in their indian morals because that's all they knew um mm. so for me any difficulties i had growing up it was just laziness be mm. a man about it you'll be fine so high school high school came and went i've dealt with some stupid you know, some crazy stuff in high school it's neither here nor there i'm not going to get into it but basically when i was ready to go to college so i graduated from high school in 2012 when i was ready to go to college i was like at my lowest point i guess mentally so I was like very depressed. I was like, oh my God, like, I don't know what I want. So I get to school. First time I'm away from home and I'm just drinking all the time. Like I'm drinking to like forget the pain or whatever yeah. it is, whatever I'm feeling or not feeling like, you know, um, very turbulent time. Like I was never able to fall asleep until like 7am. So I would miss all my classes every day. I'd miss tests and it would just restart. You know, I would like fall asleep at 7am, wake up at 5pm. And then be awake, go eat dinner, socialize, you know, maybe drink. And that was it. And like, I was not sure what I want to do. I was like, oh, I'm pre-law or, oh, I'll, <laughs> I'll study music. I'm not sure. But, you know, I, I took like all these random classes. And of course I didn't do well. Like, how can you do well? I was missing tests. I was failing left and right. And that went on for like three semesters. The only thing that kind of helped me stay alive basically was my acapella group so i was like in an acapella group there like i mentioned singing is my my big thing so that was the only thing that was making me somewhat happy so i was doing that but that was it eventually i think the december of 2013 that was like my third semester in school um i get a letter or an email actually and it's like oh you know you have a gpa of like 1.2 mm. so um we're going to have to kick you out and you can reapply in a year if you want. Otherwise, you know, best of luck. We hope we wish you the best. I hope you can get like the help you need, whatever. And this was around the time I met my girlfriend, Katie. I, I it's, it's a kind of a funny story. Looking back, we met in like October and December was when we kind of like really got together. So I was going to go visit her over Christmas break. We had kind of like made things official as official as two like 18 year olds can be. Right. <laughs> And um, Katie's a peach, by the way. She's awesome. <laughs> no, yeah, she's the best. I was going to go meet her in her hometown 
over Christmas break and like meet her family and stuff like that for the first time. And I landed in the airport in Connecticut and I turned my phone on. That's the moment I got that email mm-hmm. where it's telling me that I'm getting kicked out of school. Oh, yeah. So I'm like, holy fucking shit. Like, what do I do? Like, I'm about to see this girl that I have not known for that long at all. And I'm about to meet her family for the first time. And wow. Okay. Like, this is not good news to be receiving at this moment. But like, the crazy thing is I was in such a bad place mentally at that time in my life that I didn't, I barely even cared. Like, I was only worried about telling my parents. Like, that's how I, I was like so out of it. It was just, you know, so depressed, so anxious. I was like, it doesn't matter. Like, I'm about to see this girlfriend and it's, I'm going to be happy. So, yeah, you know, I, I actually appealed the decision too. Mm. And they were like, no, it's <laughs> not, not happening. Um, <clears throat> but in hindsight, it was the best thing that, that could have happened for mm. me. Because I, I had to like pick myself up and figure things out on my own. Because when I told my parents, my dad was like cutting me off he was like you're 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 cut off now you got to get a job and figure this out because they didn't know about it they were in the dark about all this so finding out about that you know after three semesters was brutal and you know i tried to to explain like you know i was really depressed and mental health was in in the trash can and stuff and um that's why things happened the way they did and then we kind of hung up the call and separated and I think my parents had to kind of deal with that on their own and research it a little bit more and try to understand what had happened and I was on my own for like the first time in my life you know I had never worked a job before I was 19 because my parents were always about like academics so it's like I don't want you to get a job because it'll deter from your school right so I desperately tried to find a job had to find a place to live like very quickly because I was getting kicked out of the dorm rooms so I was like staying on people's couches for a month and I stayed with Katie in her dorm room and her roommate in the with communal bathrooms and communal <laughs> laundry. Like it was it was crazy. So I had to figure all this out like on the fly and Katie was there for me every step of the way, which is crazy because we had basically just met. So the fact that she was like so supportive was is is insane to me and like I'm very thankful for that obviously. I but, already liked Katie, but this is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um so I had to get a job. I I found a job in sales. I was like selling direct TV. Um, and I found an apartment. I finally moved in. And then it was just kind of like figuring out what it was like to be an adult and like live in the world alone and not know what to do and like pay bills and, and things like that. Like I didn't know about any of this stuff. I had to kind of figure it out on the fly. So I, you know, I, I, I worked, I worked, I went to therapy because I, I wanted to figure out what, what was going on, get myself to a better place. And finally, like after maybe like six months or so, I'm starting to feel pretty good. I'm like, okay, I, I want to go back to school. I feel like I want to go into medicine because I feel like that's what I'm passionate about, but I'm not sure yet. Or maybe I should just stick it out with the sales jobs because I'm making decent enough money. So maybe it's not worth going back. And then one day I went to the office. And every day before we go to, we went to the stores to sell to customers. It was a terrible job. I hated it so much. (laughs) (laughs) Excuse me. Brutal. Because you're just annoying. You're like standing in the aisles. You're like that annoying guy. Like, hey, have you heard about our direct TV deal today? You know, brutal. Anyway, before we went to do that every day, the boss would come in and give like a motivational pep talk or something. Mm. 
And one day he comes in and he's like, all right, guys, let's get ready to go to the stores. We're saving lives here. We got to we gotta go and, and, and take care of this. We're saving lives, saving the day, living the dream. And I was like, with TV? Like, mm-hmm. bro, we're selling direct TV. Like, how are we saving lives? That was the moment when I was like, okay, this is not for me. <laughs> like, I need to figure out what I want to do. And uh, I settled on medicine at that point because I was like, this is what I've been always been good at. And it's what I'm interested in. And, you know, I'm ready to kind of give it my all now that I'm in a good place mentally. Wow. Because um, I was finally, like, somewhat stable and happy yeah. and not wanting to kill myself every other day. You know what I mean? Like, I'm glad you um, did that. I'm glad you did that. Yeah. So then I finally went back to school and, you know, it was only up from there. But Katie and I both transferred to Lafayette College in Pennsylvania. Okay. That's kind of oh, where wow. we finished our degrees. Okay. I always wondered how that happened. Yeah, because she didn't like it at our original school either. And so we both applied for transfer and ended up getting into the same school. All of this being said, this very long-winded story, right? All of this being said, it made it very, very difficult to get into med school. Mm. Because medical school is incredibly competitive. Yes. Um, And this is where I wanted to circle back to, like, what is it like uh, with mental health being in as a med student? Yeah, I think there's, there's a huge stigma about it. Like... I know people who hide aspects of their mental health, like depression, anxiety, things like that, on their application because sometimes it's just a red flag to admissions committees. They're like, oh, this person has depression. Like, it's going to be a bad doctor. Can't get him in. Really? Yeah. That's nuts. So, I had no idea about that. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's a, I think it's getting better now, but there has historically been a huge stigma about it. And unfortunately, I didn't have the luxury of hiding. I couldn't hide the issue, unlike other people. Because I had a 1.2 GPA initially. That was on my transcript. I had to explain it somehow. Otherwise, like, there was no recourse, right? Like, there was no way. So, you know, yeah, I had to, like, really be open in my essays and and write a really good essay and have it read by a bunch of different people to kind of make sure that I'm getting the point across. But even, even that aside, like, I knew that if I wanted to have a chance... I had to be like fucking perfect for the rest of the road, like 4.0, yeah. like per almost as well as I p- could possibly do on the MCAT, like the um, admissions test for medical school. Um, like all of these, ex- all of these things are huge parts of the application. But for me, they were doubly, triply, quadruply important because I had to show that I was capable and I was like ready to go, ready to be in med school. Because that 1.2 and that depression, that everything was on the transcript, right? Right. Mm. And it was not easy because I had to get a lot of intrinsic motivation because a, a lot of people did not believe in me, right? Because I, I mentioned earlier that I was always pretty average growing up because I didn't try very hard. I was never like this exceptional student who was getting like all the awards at the award days and all that stuff like that, you know? I, I didn't care. I didn't put the effort in. It is what it is. So everyone kind of thought that that was just me, you know? Gotcha. But the reality was, like, my whole life I was both lazy and depressed, and I didn't know what was going on in my head. I just knew that this is my mind. This is what I can do. This is what I'm going to do with it, and I don't want to be studying right now. I want to be doing something that makes me happy. Like, that's all I knew when I was growing up. And, and that's the thing that comes when you, after you go through therapy, 
it's very hard for like it's good it's easy enough for you to be like okay i am this new person now i've changed i've worked on myself done all these things but everyone around you still sees you as that as that person right and that has been the hardest thing for me in certain parts of my family certain parts of my friends they still see me as that person and it's been a lot of work a lot of conversation a lot of tough conversations and be like hey i'm not 18 years old anymore that kid was 10 years ago and i totally understand what you're going through yeah and i mean it's not so much anymore because i'm now in in medical school i'm in a new phase in my life where the majority of people i know are or they've only known this guy you know, they never, they didn't know the the other guy that I was. That there was this whole other portion to you. Yeah. That, oh, completely different, like completely separate. Yeah. And, you know, especially getting prepared to kind of apply for medical school or make that journey. People were like, oh, you know, you probably look into something else. Like, you know, I, you're probably not going to get into med school. You know, it's probably not going to work out. Um, with that on your GPA, you know, with that, with that 1.2 that's on your transcript, like, you know, it's almost impossible so i remember when i transferred to um lafayette in pennsylvania i met with the health career advisor the healthcare career advisor it's like somebody who's an advisor for people who want to go into med school or nursing school or whatever gotcha, gotcha. and basically tell them what to plan and how, what course to take what to do and i explained my situation i was like okay so um here's the deal this is what happened i want to go to med school that's gonna happen one way or another um, my plan is I'm going to get a 4.0 here and I'm going to do this well on the MCAT and I think that'll be enough. And she's like, I mean, that's that's not going to happen. Like what you need to think of a different career spot, like a career opportunity or um, different field. You know, it's not going to work. I proved her wrong, but like just being there as this fresh face and kind of apprehensive about can I do this? Like, do I believe what everyone is saying or do I? believe in myself right right so that that those are the kind of things that i kind of had to deal with going through this whole process yeah it's been a winding road for sure okay yeah wow i'm kind of speechless that was a lot and in a, in a great way in a beautiful yeah. way i want that to be apparent what made you choose your uh specialty um honestly it's the only thing that i've ever like really enjoyed in shadowing and things like that what I like about dermatology is that you can see everything that's happening mm. for the most part. Okay. You know, if someone has a lesion that you need to take, take a look at and fix, it's right there. Yeah. You know, whereas in other medical specialties, you kind of have to rely on a lot of imaging, like CT scans, MRIs, ultrasounds, all that stuff. And then you have to wait for that to get read by an expert. And it's just like, it's a lot of waiting around mm. um, to be able to see what's going on inside. Right. Yeah, it isn't as sexy as, you know, Grey's Anatomy makes it. <laughs> no, medicine is nothing like Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> no, no, no. You were the first not. to tell me that from the medical field. Really? Yeah, I have a cousin who's a nurse, and she loves Grey's Anatomy. I don't know if she says it's accurate or not, but she definitely loves it. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I, I sometimes get enjoyment out of watching some of these shows, but it's yeah. not accurate at all. Okay. Not accurate. Okay. <laughs> What's, like, the biggest thing you've seen that you're just like, no, 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 they need to stop? like showing these images or they need to stop portraying medical field like that oh man because there's like a hundred doctor shows now yeah it's like a oh my god it's there's so many things i feel like things in these medical shows happen a lot faster mm, yeah. than they actually do okay yeah. like 
it feels like these doctors in the shows are just running around all the time. They're not doing anything else except like talking to patients or having dramatic conversations with each other. And it's like, no, there's, you have to like go to the computer, order tests, like order blood count, order imaging for your patients. You have to wait for the orders to go through. You have to wait for whoever got the order to carry out the procedure or do whatever you asked them to do. There's a lot of red tape. You have to wait for the results to get uploaded into the medical software. You also have to write documentation on all of your patients, like right. progress notes or um, history of physical notes. And that takes a long time. In medicine, a very small amount of time is spent with the patient. Most of the time is spent at the computer, like writing notes and putting in orders and doing all that stuff. So in the shows, you don't see any of that. Yeah. It's just high paced all the time. Yeah. It's like with the patients right. 24-7. Not how it is at all. You know, there's a lot of sitting around. It's a far, far less sexy picture of what's going yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So now that you're in the thick of it, you're almost done with your first, I guess, leg of med school because there's residency that comes after this. Yeah. Technically, right? Right. What's it been in the past three years in terms of mental health in talking to other students? Like how, like, what, did, I mean, you've kind of already answered this, but like, what's it like uh, in that way? Because you've talked about in terms of the application, but what's it like when you're in the thick of everything? I mean, I think I think it's obviously very dependent on the person. What I can say is that I know a lot of people in my class, for example, who like have mental health issues and are dealing with those every day that, you know, they wouldn't talk about openly because it's like there's that stigma attached to it. So, you know, it's prevalent and I don't I don't think it's a problem. Like it, it makes people better to kind of work through issues and persevere and learn how to relate to different issues Part that helps human. yeah it's, it it helps us kind of relate to patients better too i think for me it was not super difficult to kind of manage the mental health initially i i mean it was of course it's never easy i'm just saying like it was pretty smooth i think when the pandemic hit that's mm -hmm. when things got rough for me yeah i don't yeah. know about everyone else i'm sure everyone else feels the same way but yeah that's pretty much all the questions I had. Did you got anything? I think you covered a lot of things. I mean, where do you see yourself personally, you know, in the future, like after residency, after school? Yeah. Um, I want to open up my own private practice. Okay. So it's it's owning a business pretty much. So I want to kind of manage everything on my own and, and build a business and um, run it the way I want to run it. Yeah. Not have to deal with, you know, other red tape and things like that. Yeah. Mm. That's kind of where I see myself. Um, I hope to, like, venture into the education portion a little bit, like we talked about earlier with the communication and communicating all these issues and, and diseases and treatments to the general public in ways that are easily understandable and accessible. Being a bridge. Yeah. Yeah. And then also, like, I want to work with undergraduate students and medical students just to kind of share my experience and my story because i think it's important to understand that no matter what you go through like you can still kind of achieve what you want to achieve yeah even if people are telling you otherwise absolutely you know? the storyteller is kind of something lost i think it needs to be brought back and especially in the science field because in the humanities like everyone gives presentations all the time it's not a big deal right and in the medical field we give lots of presentations it's just to other scientists <laughs> yeah you know what i mean yeah i'm kind of speechless because you you had these beautiful vulnerable stories of how you went through everything thank you for sharing that thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about it yeah i didn't yeah, know 80 percent of it yeah i don't 
I, I mean, I don't want to be that guy who like talks. You know, you don't want to be <laughs> no, that, no, no, that no. guy who talks about yeah. that stuff all the time. Right. And I don't want it to be like defining who I am because mm-hmm. I felt like it did define who I was before I was in med school. Right. Because that was what was driving me. You know, it was, yeah. I have to be perfect because of this. Yeah, you have to prove them wrong. Yeah, exactly. I had that chip on my shoulder. Yeah. And now that I'm in med school, I wanted to kind of keep it under wraps. But then I realized, like, I get to choose, like, what defines me, right? Mm. Like, that's always going to be a huge part of who totally. I am, especially because I still struggle with those issues. But that was part of my journey. And it's important to, like, lean into it and recognize that that was important for me to go through. And that's part of or a huge reason of why i am the person i am today yeah so yeah you know i've i've talked about it before on like facebook when i first got into med school because i felt like that was a big milestone but i haven't really talked about it too much since so i appreciate the opportunity to kind of like tell you guys about it and hopefully other people listen to it and, and get something from it yeah, yeah if, you know i would love that yeah i feel like more people are going through it but you know are afraid to say something about it definitely yeah it's like, oh, they're going to they're gonna think I'm weak. They're going to think I'm crazy. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, no, everybody's been having, they're like literally everyone's campaign slogan for everything this entire year has been like, it's been a terrible year. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> one of the oddest things for me in this, in this entire pandemic, it was like, oh, everyone knows how I feel on, on a daily basis now. Now, granted, it's taken to an 11th degree, mm-hmm. but I'm like, now more and more people are like, oh my gosh, I feel alone isolated anxious all the time and these are people that don't necessarily have quote-unquote problems with yeah. mental health right and now it's like yeah welcome to my world kid it's fun <laughs> and then they just put on the face mask and you go outside yeah but yeah it's it's been an odd odd it's a very very odd time well let's chill thank you so much for coming man yeah Thanks thank you that's like too heavy no that blew no me that was great okay cool. that's that's some fucking that's five-star how... quality right there no, like this is perfect. Definitely appreciate it. This is beautiful. This has been fucking grand slam for me. Blew me away. Me too. Good, good. I'm glad. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate yeah. it. Thanks for coming. Hey, fan peeps. Thanks for joining. And as always, we appreciate any feedback. You can follow us on our Facebook page, They Need a Hobby, and also at ENAH Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Hopefully one day we'll find a hobby and maybe even be one of the cool kids. Peace. We always go with the idea of talk drunk and edit sober. So <laughs> you talk as much as you want, man. Nice.